0: Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, Jesus has been eating this Passover meal each year with his disciples. But he has known what this meal was pointing to all along, something that they didn't understand. This meal was actually pointing to his coming death for their sins so that they could be forgiven. The bread that they've been eating for all these hundreds of years uh, was actually pointing to his body being broken, and the cup was pointing to his blood being shed, and also the fact that he was the actual lamb himself of the Passover. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you back with me to Exodus chapter 12. Go with me to Exodus 12, and let's go back to the institution of the Passover meal. As you know from last week's study... Jesus had turned to his disciples and said, you know that the Passover is in a couple of days. Well, this is the Passover. It started in Exodus chapter 12, when the nation of Israel were in Egypt, still in slavery. God had been trying to use Moses to get Pharaoh to let the people go. And he would sent these plagues and Moses, Pharaoh would say, yeah, and then he changed his mind and yeah, and changed his mind. And then God finally is about to send the last plague, the death angel. But before he does, he tells Moses these instructions. Look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll jump to verses 13 through 14. Said, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the numbers of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Now your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Jump down to verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So nation of Israel is in the land of Egypt in slavery. God comes to Moses and Aaron at this point and he says, I want you to start your calendar all over. Actually, it was about the fourth month of their civil calendar, the calendar they had been using But God said, I want you to start a new calendar, a religious calendar, a spiritual calendar, if you will. And today is going to be the first day of the month. You're going to start all over. It's kind of like our January 1. It actually was their month of, they called it the month of Nisan. But today's going to be January 1. And on the 10th day of this month, you all are to go and take a lamb and welcome it into your house. Kind of treat it as a pet. Also, they were to examine it during those days to make sure that it had no spot and no blemish. And then... On the 14th day at twilight, and if you know anything about the Jewish way of counting days, once it became twilight, it became the next day. So actually the 15th, on the 14th at twilight, which was the 15th, you're to kill the lamb. Now, this Passover meal, they had been eating for all those years from that day on. And they were to take the blood of that lamb and they would put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the house, wherever they were eating the Passover meal. And the, whenever the death angel passed over that night, if it saw the blood, they would be spared the judgment. Now, Jesus shows up and says, hey, guys, it's time for us to eat the Passover again. As you know, the disciples had said, hey, where do you want us to make the preparations? This is the third year they've been with Jesus following him. They've eaten it the year before. They'd eaten it the year before that. They've been eating it with Jesus. They've been eating it as Jews for many, many years. Jesus himself. But now on this last night, the night that he's been to be betrayed, the night that he's to be arrested and put to death the next day, at evening on the 14th, as they're gathered together, By the way, I said on the evening of the 14th, I don't know if you all know this or not, but the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they welcomed him with the palm branches was the 10th day of the month of Nisan when they were to welcome the lamb. Oh, and then they examined it. They examined him during those days between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion. And they really found no fault with him, even though they come up with false accusations. He was found to be without blemish. Even Pilate said, I find no fault with him. But he was put to death just at the same time the Passover lambs were. But on that night that they were eating the Passover meal, he turns to his disciples and he says, this bread that's been a part of this Passover meal, it actually represents my body. And this cup that you drink is the blood of the covenant that I'm going to be taking care of for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so go with me to John chapter six. Jesus has been little by little trying to get the Jews to understand this truth. And so he began to teach on this in John 6, but they really didn't understand it, and it confused them, and so they rejected it. In John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 22 through 59. It says, On the next day, the crowd that had remained on the other side of the sea, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Now other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me and you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, But because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father, except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that come down, comes down from heaven so that no that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, as you hear, Jesus has been telling them, look, I am the bread of life. Just like God had bread come down from heaven and it kept them alive physically. There's a bread that's coming down from heaven that's going to keep you alive spiritually. And if you eat of this bread, you'll never die. You'll live forever. You'll never hunger, never thirst. And he said, this bread... That I give is my flesh. They said, this guy says we're supposed to eat of him. That doesn't make any sense. Now, let me just deal with something real quick and then we'll come back to this. Some of you might have been raised in denominations that taught that when you take the Lord's Supper or communion, as it was probably called in your church, that when the priest waved his hand over the elements, they actually literally became the body and the blood of Jesus. That's not what the Bible teaches let me ask you this question. When Jesus stood there that night in the upper room and said, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood. Was he 100 percent whole there or there were parts or were there parts missing? He was whole. He was saying this bread is my body. It represents it, my body. It's been pointing to my body. You don't actually eat the physical body of Jesus and the actual blood of Jesus. Actually to do so would be to crucify him over and over and over. And the Bible actually says that he was been crucified once for all. So don't let anybody teach you that you have to have it become the actual body and blood. Now, there are other denominations that taught that the priest didn't have to wave their hands over it. But the moment you, it crossed your lips, it literally became the body and the blood of Jesus. That's not what the Bible teaches, folks. It's symbolism that's pointing to who Jesus is. All through the scriptures, there's symbolism that's been pointing to Jesus. Actually, if you look at the scriptures, they're full from Genesis all the way through of places that are pointing to Jesus. All the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, where God tells Satan that the serpent, there's gonna be a seed of this woman who's gonna crush your head. And then we get a little further picture here and a further picture there. And there's these glimpses in these pictures. For example, Jesus himself said in John chapter seven, he said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Out of him will throw, flow rivers of living water. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, but those who believed in him who were ready to receive. He had the same conversation with the woman at the well, where he said, If you'd asked me, I would have given you living water. She says, The well's deep. You don't even have anything to draw with. Where are you going to get this water? And he said, I am the living water. Back in the wilderness, when God was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, we see the Passover and the lamb was pointing to who? To Jesus and the blood was pointing to his blood. And when you apply it by faith, if you will, to the doorpost of your heart and believe that Jesus's blood will cover you, you will be spared the death angel. It's all pointing to Jesus in the wilderness. The Bible says that they were thirsty and God tells Moses to strike this rock and he strikes it and water flows. Remember, we've already seen Jesus say that the water represents the Holy Spirit and salvation. Later on, they're thirsty again and God tells Moses to do what? Speak to the rock. Of course Moses in his frustration says are we going to have to provide water for you again and he struck the rock a couple of times and God in his mercy allowed water to flow but told Moses you you're kind of ruining the picture I'm trying to paint here. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that they all drank from the same spiritual rock in the wilderness which is Christ. That rock with the miraculous water coming out of it in the desert was pointing again to Jesus. There's symbolisms that are pointing, but all through the scriptures, whenever there's symbolism, the Bible tells you what it symbolizes. It, don't, it never leaves us to guess. Well, I think that represents this, or I think this represents that. No, it, the Bible will tell you, this bread is my body. This blood is my, sorry, this cup is my blood. Going back to the rock in the wilderness, what a wonderful picture. In order for salvation to be given, in order for the Holy Spirit to be received, the rock had to be struck. But once the rock's been struck, once he's been crucified once for all, you don't have to strike him anymore. How do you receive salvation now? What do you have to do to the rock in order to have it give you the salvation and give you the water? Ask him. Ask him. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All through the scripture, I could go on and on. We could spend days looking at all the typology and the pictures, but they've all been pointing to Jesus. And Jesus that night says to these guys, this Passover meal that you've been eating, it's been pointing to me and what I'm about to do tonight for all these years. This bread is my body. This cup is my blood. And when you're eating it, you're symbolically saying that you are receiving my life. Now, go to Matthew. Now, go to John chapter 1. We'll go to John chapter 1. We're in John 6. Back up to John chapter 6. Look at verses 29 and then 35 through 36. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at verses 35 and 36. The next day, again. John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus is this spotless lamb. It's all been pointing to him. So Jesus was saying to them that night in the upper room, this bread and wine that you've been eating all these years, this lamb that you've been eating, it's been pointing to me and what I'm about to do That you are to act on by faith. Believe in me. Believe that my blood, in my blood, that will protect you from the coming judgment. So, what we're gonna do tonight is I'm gonna take you through a few. And, and like I told the people last night, don't get too excited when I say a few, because I'm gonna show you a lot. But I'm gonna take you to a few of the scriptures that talk about the power of the blood of Jesus and what it accomplishes for us. And I want you to pay close attention, because you're gonna see some neat things. Go back to Matthew chapter 26 first to start off with. In Matthew 26, look again at verses 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said to them, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes and says, I won't drink of it again until we have it in the kingdom. And I'll get to that later tonight. Jesus said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is what? Poured out for what? For many. For what? For forgiveness of sins. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verses. Sorry, not. Yeah, Romans 5. We'll start in verse 6. Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, well, for one's. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were at enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, what shall we be saved by his life." More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Look at verse 9 again very closely. Since therefore we have now been what by his blood? Justified. Justified. And I hope you understand what that means. It means you've been declared righteous. A lot of preachers like to say you've been made just as if you'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. But it's, it's, a, it's a declaration. It's a legal declaration that you are innocent. You are not guilty. And we have been... Declared not guilty, free from the penalty of our sins. We've been forgiven of our sins. How? By his blood. Don't miss that, folks. That's important. You're going to see this jump off the pages. It's by his blood you've been made righteous. It's by his blood you've been declared righteous. It's not by anything you do. The the, the Jews on that night, the death angel passed over. All they did was act in obedience to what God had said. Take the blood of that lamb, put it on the doorpost of your house and put it on the lintel. And they had to, by faith, believe that that blood on that door from that lamb was going to protect them from a death angel that was going to pass over that night. If they put the blood and then also maybe... Put some other things on the, over their bed and hid under their bed. You don't know say no. They added to it. There wouldn't been full faith in the blood. They would have been faith in the blood plus some of the things they were trying to do. But no, the Bible says faith alone in the blood. And if you have put your faith alone in Jesus's blood, which has been shed for your sins, you have been declared righteous by God. And it's not because of how good you've been. It's been because of His blood. Go to Ephesians chapter one. Look at verse 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Now, here we see that it's not only we've been justified by His blood, we've been redeemed through His blood. You know that redemption means to be bought back. How many of you remember food stamps? Remember SNH food stamps? And you you get your books and you save them up and then you would go and redeem them. You know, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were guilty. We were, as Romans 5 said, we were enemies. We were against God. And while we were his enemies, while we were sinners, while we were not worthy and and deserving of being spared, he, through his sacrifice on our behalf, has washed us clean and we've been redeemed. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 13 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, this is the Gentiles, have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. He's talking about how God's, Jesus' blood has removed the hostility between Jew and Gentile. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Don't miss this. Jesus' blood not only redeems us. Jesus' blood not only justifies us. Jesus' blood not only washes us clean and forgives us of all of our sins. Jesus his blood has the power to reconcile people who had issues with each other. Because of Jesus, we should have no more hostility between not just Jew and Gentile, but brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to see that as very important when we get to something at the end of our study tonight. But I want you to remember this. The blood of Jesus is what's supposed to erase any hostility between believers. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter, male or female, there should be no hostility between Christians. Because of the blood of Christ, we've been all brought into the same family because of him. And it's the blood of Jesus that should reconcile us. Not whether or not they ask for forgiveness. Not whether or not they do a few things that make me feel like I can trust them now. The blood of Jesus is what should be bringing us back together. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Hopefully you're starting to see that the blood of Jesus on the cross accomplished a lot. Colossians chapter 1, look at verses 15 through 20. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Actually, this is a hard thing for us to grasp. And we're going to look at it when we get to first John in a couple of passages. But the Bible actually says that because of Jesus's blood, what Jesus did on the cross that day was reconcile all things to himself. Things in heaven, things on the earth, things under the earth. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying everybody's going to heaven now because they've been reconciled. No, Jesus' blood paid for the sins of everyone and everything. The blood is that powerful that it covered it all. You get to partake of the benefits of what the blood does when you, by faith, apply the blood to you. When we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, what we're just symbolically saying is my physical life comes from food and water and food and drink. My spiritual life comes from Jesus. The fact that I'm going to live forever is because of Jesus and His body and His blood. And that blood accomplishes a lot. It's reconciled many, many things. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, look at verses 8 through 16 and 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, verses 8 through 16. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to, listen closely, sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom we glory forever and ever. Amen. He said, look, Jesus hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And don't fall prey to these strange type of teachings that says that if you... Follow certain religious practices or avoid certain foods or eat certain foods that you'll be right. And folks, let's be honest, that kind of junk's been taught all through our lives. Some of you have been taught you can't have fish on Friday. Only fish on Fridays, no meat on Fridays. And you got to avoid this and you got to do that. And how many people feel like they're not right with God because they didn't go to Mass and they didn't take of the communion because they're special? Don't be led away by foods. No, the blood of Jesus Listen closely to what it says here. It sanctifies the people through his own blood. Now, I want to deal with something. I'm going to give you a quiz here. Now, pay close attention to the question. How many of you can raise your hands and say here, I know I'm going to heaven when I die because of the blood of Jesus Christ? All right, good. Now, I have to ask you believers in this room this question. How many of you don't sin anymore? Good answer. Good answer. Actually, we all still struggle with sin, even though we've been forgiven of sins. Even though we've been set free from the power of sin, we're not set free from the presence of sin yet. That's going to happen when we get to the new, the new state. But we've been set free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but we still struggle with sin. And there are some Christians, you may be included, I know I have for years, who wrestle with the fact That we know that that day that we walked that aisle or that day that we bent the knee and we trusted Christ as our Savior and we applied his blood on that cross to the doorposts of our hearts. We know that on that day he forgave us of our sins. But then after that day, we still kept sinning. And how many of you have thought, I know his blood covered my sin." Up to that point that I gave to him. But what about the sins after Have you ever had that wrestling match? I have. I remember as a young believer thinking, well, I know he forgave me, but now I've done stuff since. There's a true story. A pastor had a wife who came home one day from church and she said, you know, I got to be honest with you. I'm wrestling with that same issue myself. She said, I have a hard time. I I understand that when I trusted him as my savior, he erased all my sin that I had done from that point into here. But I've done future sins. Are those still covered? And the pastor wisely looked at his wife and he asked her this simple question. He said, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, how many of your sins were future? They were all future at that time. And his blood was shed for all of your sins, not just the ones you gave to him when you trusted him, but even the ones you're going to do tomorrow. That's very important. The blood of Jesus not only justifies us, the blood of Jesus is what sanctifies us. And many of us, we don't even have to be raised in a different denomination. Some of you raised in a Baptist denomination or a Methodist denomination. Many of us have thought after salvation that when we sinned, we had to do things to make it up to God. You ever felt that way? I'll pray harder. I'll read my Bible more. I'll go to church next week. I'll give pull a little more money in the plate. We felt like there was something we had to do in order to get back in His good graces. David even said the same thing when he sinned with Bathsheba. He said in Psalm 51, he said, if you desired sacrifice, I'd give it. But what you really desire is a repentant, a broken and contrite heart. That, oh God, you won't despise. Folks, when we sin, which we still do after salvation, we don't have to ask God to forgive us again. We've been forgiven of all our sins. But we do need to confess. The word confess means to agree with God. See, I was taught that confession was telling God what I've done. And he acted like, oh, okay. I'm glad you told me. No. Confession is when the spirit of God convicts you and you agree with him. You're right. The lost person confesses because the spirit of God reveals to them they're a sinner. And when the lost person says, you're right, God, I am a sinner. I agree with you and I need salvation. That's confession. They agree with God. When you and I sin after salvation, all we need to do is say, Lord, you're right. I repent. And I thank you for the fact that your blood has already covered that. I thank you that I'm continually forgiven Because of your blood, I'm not only been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm being sanctified. That daily process of cleansing is being done by the blood of Christ. Go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through into chapter 2 verse 2. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. John says, this is the message that we have heard from God, heard from him, and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Now, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son, what? Cleanses us from all our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess or agree, about our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words not in us. Listen to chapter two. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's writing to believers. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, by the way, there's people out there today in the church who'll try and tell you that Jesus' blood was only shed for the people that are going to be saved. That's not what the scripture teaches. Remember how we just saw in Colossians chapter 1 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. It talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5 as well. He reconciled all things, making peace through the blood of his cross. Again, that doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven. You have to receive it by faith, and by faith apply that truth. Eat of his blood and I mean eat of his body and drink of his blood. But Jesus Blood was shed for the whole world and we're to be living lives in which we don't sin. We're in that process of being conformed in the image of Jesus. Thank God we've been justified by his blood. Thank God the sanctification process is being done by him who began the good work, who will finish it. The author and the perfecter of our faith. What is our job then in the daily sanctification process? Submission, faith, receiving his grace. When you think you have to help him sanctify you, you don't get it. Did you have to help him save you? No, all you could say was, uncle, you're right. I give. My life is yours. In the same way, when we sin. Hope you don't. But if you do, and we do. Because if you say you don't, truth's not in you. But when you do, and then we do, we have an advocate with the Father. And his blood cleanses us from our sins. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, look at verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, how? By His blood. And He's made us a kingdom, And priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. Folks, you've already been freed from your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we take of the Lord's Supper... We're reminding ourselves of the truth of what it's been pointing to all along. His body was broken for my sins. His blood was shed for many things. For many things, and one of them to free me from my sins. Go back to Matthew 26, though, and look at verse 29. There's something else, though, that Jesus begins to hint at in our passage Matthew 26, verse 29, there's something else that goes on when we take the Lord's Supper that I want you to start to see here. In Matthew 26, verse 29, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink it again, uh, drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day that when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now, he was drinking it and eating it with them that night. He had been doing that with them for all the times he'd been with them. But he says to them that night, I'm not going to eat this meal with you. I'm not going to drink this cup with you again until... I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 23 through 26. Now, I'm going to take you to a very, very familiar passage. It's a passage that has been read many, many times as we take the Lord's Supper, but I want to maybe be used of God to show you something you have never seen before in this passage. There's something about this story, about what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 11, that maybe you didn't understand First Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verses 23 through 26. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me say something to you you might not know. When Paul says here, For what I received from the Lord I also passed on to you, some of you would say, Wait a minute, Paul. Matthew already wrote about it. Mark already wrote about it. Luke and John have already talked about it. But actually, 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 26 is the first written recording we have of them eating the Passover meal together in the upper room that night. If you do a study, you'll realize that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and it was in the early church's hands in written form before Matthew was written or Mark was written or Luke was written or John was written. So when Paul says, what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. He's sharing with with them about what happened in the upper room that night on the night of the Passover meal and the night that he's betrayed. That's the first time that it was actually written down for them and recorded. So Paul's saying to them, let me tell you something The Lord showed me. And he pulls out a couple of things. Same thing that we saw Jesus say in Matthew's account. But he also pulls out a couple other things here. Look at what he says here. He says, as often as you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. Now it's interesting, that night, the Passover meal ceased from being the Passover meal for the new believers. Remember the Passover meal was to remember what? how How the death angel spared those who were covered by the blood of Christ back in the time of Egypt. But Jesus says, let me give you the full picture. That's all been pointing to me and my body and my blood. And this that you've been eating is my body and my blood. And as Christians, are we to eat it every year at Passover? How often are we to eat this meal? And, uh, and that's why we're to do it in remembrance of him. How often are we to take it? Whatever. As often as we take it. Oh, how many of us have been taught you have to do it so many times or how much a quarter? And we put it in our Constitution and bylaws. How often we have to take those. Guys, don't make it harder on yourself than you need to. Don't put a yoke of burden on yourself that God doesn't want for you. But you're to do it a lot. You're to do it often. And guess what? We're going to take it tonight on a Wednesday night in a group of Bible study of people that are all different churches even. I love it. Oh, but what have we done over the years? Oh, no, you only can take it if it's being passed out by a deacon. Or if it's being passed out by the pastor and prayed over by the pastor. Or, oh, no, you can't take it unless you're a member of this church. All that junk we've added to it. When all it is, is a meal that reminds us his body was broken. Oh, and by the way, listen to what Paul says. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. By the way, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, put the word plural right next to that or write the word y'all. That's very important for what we want need to look at real quickly. Paul's pointing out, because in the context of what Paul's talking about here in the Lord's Supper, he's been dealing with division in the church all through the whole book of Corinthians. It starts in chapter 1. How there's some people say, well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Paul, or I follow Peter. And there's division, and he's been dealing with division. He even writes in the next chapter, 12, that God gave us all these different gifts so that we would work together so that there'd be no division in the body. And when they were taking the Lord's Supper, it was a Passover meal no longer. It was a koinonia meal in the early church. They had actually turned it into a potluck supper, which was a great thing. Because it was a meal to remember how he died for us. And they would come together and all of a sudden that church, it stopped having its meaning and its purpose because it was supposed to be an us meal. And people weren't waiting for each other. Some people were just getting drunk. Others wouldn't share their food with anybody else. And, G- and Paul says to them, it's not the Lord's Passover, saw the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Because Jesus that night said, this is my body which is broken for y'all. It's supposed to be eaten to remember that he died for us. Now let me say this to you. Tonight when we take it, I don't want your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want your eyes up. And I want you looking around. I want you thanking God for the fact that he died for you. And he died for me. He died for us. Remember to reconcile. To reconcile us through his blood, not just Jew and Gentile, but all believers. He'll know where his disciples by our love were one another. But what have we done? We took a passage in the very next verses. Let me read the next verses. Paul says in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now this is why some of you are weak and ill and some have died, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If one is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. Now about other things, I'll give directions when I come. Listen to what he said. He said, look, when you don't take the Lord's Supper correctly, you're sinning against the body and the blood. The whole purpose of why he died. So you better examine yourself and anyone that eats without examining the body. Did he say the body and the blood? No. So what's the body then that he's talking about? The body of believers. In the full context of the whole book of Corinthians and here, especially in Corinthians 11, he says, when you take this meal, you need to be making sure that you're treating the body well. That's why you're eating it together. You sin against the body and the blood when you don't consider the body of believers. And what have we been taught to do? Boy, you better take the Lord's Supper seriously. It's a serious and somber time and everybody better sit in their pew with their head bowed and their eyes closed. And you hold the elements and you get right with God. There's nothing wrong with thanking him for what he's done for you and and, and taking seriously what was accomplished for you. But folks, it's not a me meal. It's a we meal. This is my body broken for y'all. And Not only is it to remind us that he died for us and it should be a time of reconciliation of believers who have issues with each other. It also is a meal that whenever we eat it and as often as we eat it, we do what? According to what Paul said, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What did Jesus say? I'm not going to eat of this again with you until the day when I eat it anew with you in the kingdom. I'm coming back. And we're going to eat it together And we're not only saying he died for us when we take this meal. We're also saying he died for us and he's coming again. That's what we're doing when we're eating of it. We're saying he's coming again and he's coming back to the earth. So tonight we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And what we're going to do is we're going to take that bread that we have. If you haven't grabbed it over and grabbed some, go ahead. I think everybody's got some. We're going to take this cup. We're going to take the bread. We're going to eat the bread together first. We're going to take some time and we'll pray for us. But I want you to look around. Thank God for the fact that he died for us. One of the privileges I have as a traveling preacher is I get to see God at work amongst many Christians all over the country and parts of the globe. But it's so neat to have Christian brothers and sisters who are close friends everywhere I go. And I had a neat, neat experience one time where I actually had the privilege of going and meeting some believers in Romania And I went and preached for two weeks in Romania to some gypsies and some others in that church, Church churches there. And then the next year I went down to Guatemala, sorry, not Guatemala, uh, to Panama, Panama City, and I met some other believers and we became friends. And then uh, two years after that, the church in Panama City went on a mission trip to the same place that I had preached in Romania. And I actually got to see brothers and sisters that I had come clo- become close with in Panama hugging brothers and sisters that I had become close with in Romania. That was a pretty cool experience. It's like, wow, heaven's going to be awesome, folks. It's going to be an amazing thing. And so tonight, Father, we take this bread in our hands and we eat it together. Not because it has any special powers, but simply because it's the way you have designed. Like our baptism, it doesn't save us. Our baptism doesn't wash us clean. We've been washed clean by your blood. But you tell us to do these things to show our faith and our obedience. And as we've seen tonight, we're also at the same time saying not only thank you for the fact that you broke your head, your body broken for us, but you also have us say thank you for the fact that you're coming again. And we look forward to that day. And Lord, we'll be honest. We hope it's soon. We look forward to that day in which we get to eat this meal with you face to face in the kingdom. But between now and then. May others come to faith as they see that we love each other and we've been made right because of your blood. Thank you for what your body has done. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. As you know, we've only touched just a little bit about all that was accomplished by the blood of Jesus. Is anybody here besides me starting to realize, man, the blood did a lot more than I thought. There's a lot that's been accomplished by his blood. And folks, whenever you find yourself thinking that you have to do something, remember his blood. It's been done by his blood. It's been accomplished by his blood. Tonight as we take this cup again, we're going to be looking around saying, "Man, I thank God for the Wilson. I praise God. We've been we've been together now for what? 20 years. Been through lots of cool cool stuff. Huh? Yeah, Cuz when Sarah was born. Sarah was born. So she's 20 something years old now. And we become cruise buddies and can't wait for COVID ends and we can do some more cruising together. And That's just neat to see how God has done a neat, neat work. And folks, we drink this tonight to say, Jesus died not only for me, he died for us. Father, thank you again for the fact that you have shed your blood on our behalf. Lord, we don't even fully grasp it ourselves. But tonight, when we drink this cup, we thank you for the fact of what we know at least it represents. And we thank you for the things it represents that we don't even understand. We thank you that your spirit, though, desires to give us insight and understanding so we'll know you better. And over time, we'll know the hope to which we've called us, the glorious inheritance we have in the saints and the mighty power you have available for us who believe. Lord, it's been accomplished by your blood. And tonight, as you took us through those passages quickly, but you took us through those many passages, you showed us the many things or many of the things that have been accomplished and are being accomplished by your blood. Tonight, we drink this and say, thank you. And keep doing it. We need it. In your name we pray, Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. I love y'all. Have a Merry Christmas. And we'll see you next year.